0: You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This episode is going to be a Q&A-based podcast from some questions that I had got on Instagram in a question box. So we're going to be going through a variety of different things today, gut health, EMFs, folate, dizziness, and so much more. So I'm going to start with just one of the first questions here that I did not get to answer on my Instagram this day. So this question is, do you have an EMF blocking blanket that you recommend? I don't have an EMF blocking blanket. I personally just use... The soma vedic for emf mitigating in our household and really just use that to help our body harmonize emf a little bit more but then i'm also very conscious of emf so i don't really i guess feel the need for any uh an emf blocking blanket at nighttime because our wi-fi is off our phone's on airplane mode we're not wearing any wearables that are connecting to bluetooth i wear a temp drop at night, but it only uses Bluetooth to connect, so that is a wearable that I'm technically wearing, but it's not emitting anything because it's not connecting to anything. Uh, so otherwise, I mean, at nighttime, I wouldn't really see a need for it. Obviously, at nighttime when we're on the couch maybe watching TV, that probably could be a good use for it, but we have the soma Vedic in our kind of main living space, and then I can bring it up into my office. I can bring it in the bedroom if I want. So we personally just use soma vedic which i had a whole podcast on soma vedic if you wanted to go back and listen to that the next question is does paleo valley contain enough folate to take while pregnancy this is a great question and i always leave this up to your discretion so there's a lot of people out there that really want to be able to take a prenatal because they feel like they have to and honestly i don't see it as a bad reason even if they are taking something like the paleo valley organ complex or any type of brand of organ complex. I see or I believe that liver does contain incredibly sufficient amounts of folate. So you technically wouldn't need to. But if you wanted to just be safe, you could also take a prenatal in addition to as well. It also depends on how your body's processing it as well. So definitely do what you're comfortable with. Next question is random dizziness, no changes in diet or exercise possible causes. So, first thing that kind of came to my mind is adrenal insufficiency or adrenal uh, dysfunction because sometimes when our adrenals are not pro- properly working if i especially see this when people sit down and then they get up really quickly and they their blood pressure goes a little low and they feel dizzy yes it's because your blood pressure is low but it's also because your adrenals are ultimately having a really hard time adapting to kind of that really quick stressor so i would really for you look at adrenal Health. Make sure you're getting enough minerals. Make sure you're getting in enough whole, whole food, nutrient dense vitamins, especially vitamin C. Vitamin C is so good for the adrenals. Really work on circadian rhythm optimization and also tend and try to see where it might be happening. Dizziness also can be a huge thing with blood sugar swings as well. So when your blood sugar goes up, we don't really feel anything, but when you feel, when it comes down and it's kind of on that crash down. Everybody's symptoms are different with that. Some people get hangry. Some people get shaky. Some people just get dizzy. Some people get a combination of both. So it totally could be that. It also could be a mix of both of them. So I would definitely look into all of those. Um, This question, gut health, constant bloating with any type of fiber. So that is definitely showing me a digestive insufficiency. I'm not against people going on nutrition plans, short term that limit fiber intake to really help take some stress off the digestive system but that's not root cause because just cutting those foods out like say you're not you're having undigested food in your stool or you're not digesting fiber that's not that food's problem like ideally when our digestive system is optimal we're able to digest those things no problem but during a healing phase maybe cut limiting some fibers that you have a hard time digesting as you work on strengthening your stomach acid and digestive enzymes. So digestive enzymes are released in the pancreas. Um, stomach acid is released and made from B12. Uh, B12 is really crucial for making stomach acid. So really looking into those. I've been reading a lot of stool tests lately, where we're seeing protein malabsorption, fat malabsorption, sometimes fiber uh, or vegetable remnants found in the stool. So really, really working on building up that digestive fire and that digestive health again is going to be really important. Um, (laughs) okay. After plan B, my cycle went from 25 to 47 days. Now I haven't had it for three months. So I've gotten actually quite a few questions on plan B. Plan B essentially is a emergency use contraceptive. So it's very similar to the way that it works. It's very similar to how birth control works. So birth control, inhibits and shuts down your body's ovulation, obviously. So you can't get pregnant plan B is very similar to that. So because of that, you could very well, because you're shutting down ovulation, you can very much see changes in your menstrual cycle, even for a few months to follow very similar. It's not the same as if you went on birth control and came off. Cause it's obviously a one-time thing, but it's a much stronger dose. So I tell people don't freak out if you do see changes in your cycle. Maybe it's lengthening or shortening or super heavy bleeding or clotting. All of that could be because you have really inhibited the ovulation and therefore you're going to see a lot of those uh, progesterone type deficiency symptoms, longer cycles, um, etc. So that is technically, I guess, normal when we're thinking about um, going on that type of medication. Okay. Next question is, husband is exposed to mold at his job. What can we do? So mold is definitely tricky. Mold is in a lot of places. A lot of people are exposed to mold. And depending on, obviously, if it's at your job, you can't really you know, always change that environment. Whereas it's, if it's at your home where you're spending your most time, that's that'd be more of a case where, okay, we gotta look at some remediation or some type of thing that we can be able to do to really minimize it. However, obviously at the job, there's only so much that we can do. So when I'm helping people kind of navigate this, probably going on some type of like of a mold protocol, getting on a really good quality binder. I like using the cell core protocol to really bind up mold because it's nice because it's not just, I like the protocols because they're not very specific to just, it's like an antibiotic. You take it when you have a bacterial infection period, you wouldn't take it any other way. This is nice because I actually take naturally a lot of the mold support for general detox support, but it's nice because when you are exposed to mold, it's just helping your body detoxify it a little bit more. So maybe getting him on a binder, making sure that he's sweating a few times a week, especially infrared sauna can be really good for sweating out mold, really making sure that he's getting as much out of his nutrition and that his detox pathways are open so that he can get rid of it as much as he can. And then maybe thinking about a quarterly or biannually parasite cleanse too, because parasites can definitely harbor a lot of mold as well. So there's only so much that he can do. If he can have the ability to maybe have, I don't know if it's like an office situation or a warehouse or whatever, but if he's got his own space, maybe he can have some type of an air purifier or um, even diffusing certain essential oils like orange essential oil. He can even have like a orange room spray with just witch hazel water and uh, orange essential oil. Orange is really good for breaking up those mold spores. Vinegar is also really good too. So, if he kind of can see where the mold is, maybe using that, getting an essential oil diffuser or air purifier. Um, if you can't have something like that, just because of being in a space with other people or whatever that situation looks like, uh, you know, just really making sure that he's supporting his detoxification pathways the best that he can. Okay. Thoughts on testosterone pellets. So I'm not opposed to, To testosterone pellets, um, it's just, it's obviously definitely not root cause. I mean, low testosterone is usually a huge adrenal thing. Uh, It's a huge ovarian thing. So obviously as ovarian function shuts down or minimizes uh, in, in our perimenopause and menopausal years, our adrenals are really the only place making testosterone and our adrenals at that point are usually quite burnt out. So I definitely have had quite a few patients who have gone on it for symptomatic relief and Uh, support. But again, like you have to make sure that you're doing those root cause things too with vitamin D strength training, adrenal support would be kind of my biggest root cause things for making sure that testosterone is supported. And that is in males and females. Um, I guess the one issue I kind of have with it too, is there tends to sometimes be a uh, reliance on it. So it can be hard to come off. Uh, And I know this to be true, especially when males are taking TRT, it's kind of, if you go on in your forties and fifties, it's kind of something that similar to birth control and the fact that if you take it, your body, obviously it doesn't have to worry about producing it. So it's not going to, and then as testosterone is even harder to produce in those later years of life it just, it almost makes it like a reliance thing. So that's just kind of something to think about. Um, Oh, this is interesting. What is the purpose and use of different types of magnesium? I literally just made a post on this on Instagram. Um, So I will talk about those. So magnesium has a lot of different uses in the body. Magnesium um, is good for metabolism. It's needed for over 300 different reactions in the body. And the problem is we just aren't getting enough of it. In our nutrition, we, I mean, you can eat the best nutrient foods, uh, but you can still be depleted because our soil is just unfortunately very heavy depleted unless you know exactly what you're, you're growing. Um, you know, it's, it can be difficult. So I really am a fan of pretty much most people being on supplementation, but of course you can ask your practitioner. Magnesium glycinate helps support your adrenals, very, very helpful for anxiety and even can be helpful for gut health and heartburn or GERD. Citrate is one of the best forms for people who struggle a lot with constipation and really needing a little bit of extra support with bowel movements. Magnesium threonate is great because it can cross that blood-brain barrier. And so because it can cross that blood-brain barrier, it's really, really supportive of cognitive health, Magnesium malate is really, really good for my chronic migraine people. Um, It's also great for depression and chronic pain. Magnesium taurate. So taurate is a amino acid that's very good for heart tissue. Um, It's actually very heavily found in heart you eat heart. Um, Therefore it helps improve your own heart health and cardiovascular function. And it's very, very helpful for people with hypertension. So those are the pretty much most common forms. I am not a fan of magnesium oxide. It's not very well absorbed in the body. So that's a form that I think is found in a lot of magnesium supplements. And I'm really not sure why, because it's, it's really not well absorbable. And another common question I get with that is, can you take multiple forms? Absolutely. Sometimes I take one form depending on what I need. Sometimes I take a combination of forms. There's a lot of different blends that I have on full script that are a mix of them. Um, but say maybe I take magnesium glycinate nightly, but I'm traveling or I'm feeling a little bit more backed up. I will take magnesium citrate along with that. And you can totally mix and match and combine root cause of keratosis pilaris. I've answered this on a lot of Q and a podcasts, vitamin A deficiency and food sensitivity, most common food sensitivity being gluten, and uh, vitamin A deficiency. So people who cut out gluten and then they add in a lot of vitamin A-rich foods like liver uh, or supplement with something like cod liver oil, really, really beneficial. And then topically, you can really work on exfoliating using like a natural exfoliant on the area that you're exposed to. Uh, Dairy also can be a really common trigger for people with keratosis pilaris too. So um, really kind of taking that whole whole holistic or all inclusive approach there. Um, let's see, are tattoos unhealthy? This is a good question. I mean, in in reality, that ink that's being absorbed into your skin is not good for you. So, I mean, I don't think I'm going to put a classification that it's unhealthy, but it's, it's not helping your health or it's not supporting really health in any way. I'm not against tattoos, I personally will never get one. I made my mom a promise. She hated tattoos and I will never get one. I like them on other people. I admire them on other people, but I will never get one, especially for kind of the health reasons. But also I think my mom would shoot a lightning bolt down at me if I got one. She admired them on other people too, just not on me. (laughs) So yeah, natural headache remedies. Um, So one, you want to obviously look at why you're having a headache to begin with. Headache remedies, my, some of my go-to favorites, obviously hydration. I love using herbal teas like peppermint or diffusing peppermint or applying peppermint on your temples or the back of your neck. A lot of headaches also I find being a chiropractor come from a lot of trigger points, especially in the trap and even upper back region. So I love using my Prana mat. I love cupping. I love acupuncture. I love chiropractic. Chiropractic is one of the most beneficial ways that you can reduce chronic headaches and migraines. So go see your local chiropractor and then at home doing things like hot compress, uh, using peppermint essential oil and all of those different things to also really, really help support that headache from hopefully not progressing, but then really kind of look at, are your headaches hormonal? Are they coming at a certain time during the month? Do they come when you're stressed? Do they come when you're dehydrated? So you can start to get a pattern and really work and say, okay, I am finding my root cause. Next question is reason for gray hair at a young age. So with gray hair, I mean, some of it can be genetic, but a lot of times it's, it's due to stress and the making of hydrogen peroxide in your body that turns things gray. And it, ultimately is kind of a mitochondrial type dysfunction. So really supporting detox, supporting adrenals. I mean, we see gray hair. We always joke. It's like, Oh, I'm so stressed or you're you're the type of person that gives me gray hair cause they stress me out. I mean, if we think about it, that, that actually does hold some truth. So at a young age, you want to look at what your stress load is, what your cortisol is, what your nutrient status is, how your detox is being supported. Because that I actually got two questions from two different people about this. That is super interesting and they are right next to each other. So this will answer your question. Gray hairs usually come from, like I said, cortisol, nutrient depletion, obviously a lot of stress that's depleting your nutrients and um, even creating higher levels of hydrogen peroxide, which is disrupting natural hair color production. A lot of it can also be a mineral imbalance as well. Jackie asked, trying to choose a pro and prebiotic. She asked, microbiome labs or seed? I have quite a few clients and patients who have tried seed. I've never had any personal experience with it. And it's not one because I don't have personal experience with it. I don't prescribe it or recommend it. In my protocols, I'm usually recommending microbiome labs. They're really kind of my gold standard go-to. But I also really like the probiotic from CellCore as well. They have their CT biotic, which has fulvic and humic acids in it as well. So it really helps for detox. Um, But I like Microbiome Labs a lot too. And you compare it with their prebiotic. If you wanted or felt like you needed to take a prebiotic, that would personally be my go-to. Oh, good question. Do you think a broccoli sprout powder for liver support is good if you're having a sluggish thyroid? So, some people say that with thyroid health, you don't want to have any cruciferous vegetables because sometimes it can block proper thyroid production. You have to you would have to be eating of copious amounts of cruciferous vegetables. And so, yes, broccoli sprouts are much more potent and nutrient profiles, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be inhibiting your thyroid function. Broccoli sprouts are super high in sulforaphane. They help glutathione production. They are really supportive for healthy estrogen production, which is very supportive for thyroid. So of course, by, I mean, this also could be very case by case, but just generally speaking, I would say that broccoli sprout powder or eating broccoli sprouts isn't going to have an effect on your sluggish thyroid because it's not, I mean, you'd have to be eating, I think there was, I think I read something one time that said you have to be eating like 10 to 20 cups of cruciferous vegetables for it to be impacting the thyroid. But again, it's the eating cruciferous vegetables. Isn't the reason your thyroid's low. You need to be, we need to be looking at the gut health, the adrenals, et cetera. Next question, can I wear my castor oil pack every night? I just fall asleep so much quicker when I wear it. Yeah, I wear mine pretty much every single night. There's really not a night that I go without it, honestly. And um, even when I travel, I really try to bring it. I'll put it in a little bag, bring the little travel size version or the cosmetic version. It's smaller. It's easier to travel than the huge one. And I pretty much bring it everywhere we go. Um, The only time I probably can't bring it is if I'm not checking a bag because I don't have one that's under three ounces. So that's a bummer, but otherwise I'm bringing it. And then the last question is, can I order a Dutch test now and use it in a year? Yep. You can have, I've had people s- ha- sit on the Dutch test for a while. It's not going to be an issue until you go to take it. And then if you take it and you're not sending it back to the lab right away, that's the only time that it's a problem. But with the test kit just sitting there, that's totally fine. I have quite a few, I had I've had quite a few test kits just kind of sit around here and may not use them right away. And it, that's not a problem until obviously you go to actually take it. And then, you know, you not send it back to the lab in time. That's really the only issue there. So that's it for today's Q&A. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what you found was interesting. Let me know what you learned. And I will see you back next week.